Cornerstone Podcast. This is the podcast where we share teachings, reflections, and updates on our church planting project in Makati City, Philippines. Our mission is to engage the city with the gospel, establish the people in the local church, and equip the church to serve the city and beyond. Hello everyone, welcome to lesson number 5 of Gospel Immersion. We are midway through our 10-week series about understanding the Biblical Gospel. I'm Abit Almanza, pastor and church planter of Cornerstone Makati. As we start, let me play an audio clip that some of you may be familiar with. If God is slow to anger and patient, excuse me, since God is slow to anger, (laughs) we're always learning. Since God is slow to anger and patient, then why, when man first sinned, was his wrath and punishment so severe? and long-lasting. Time out. <laughs> Didn't we just have that question a second ago? We did. Yeah, it's a little, little, little nuance. That God's punishment for Adam was so severe. This creature from the dirt defied the everlasting holy God. After that, God had said, the day that you shall eat of it, you shall surely die. And instead of dying, Thanatos, that day, he lived another day and was clothed in his nakedness by pure grace and had the consequences of a curse applied for quite some time, but the worst curse would come upon the one who seduced him, whose head would be crushed by the seed of the woman. And the punishment was too severe? What's wrong with you people? I'm serious. I mean, this is what's wrong with the Christian church today. We don't know who God is, and we don't know who we are. The question is, the question is, why wasn't it infinitely more severe? If we have any understanding of our sin and any understanding of who God is, that's the question, isn't it? The one you heard was Dr. R.C. Sproul, a great pastor, theologian, teacher, author, and lover of God's Word. He has gone home to be with the Lord a few years ago, but his legacy remains and is tremendously felt by many churches and pastors all over the world, including myself. I share that clip because it powerfully shows us the tension that we live in today, that we have a poor understanding of who God is and a poor understanding of who we are. And it gives us a good transition to our topic today. 
you know, the Bible defines this tension, this conflict in different ways. And the primary biblical words would be sin, iniquity, and transgression. So sin is uh, what we are more familiar with. Uh, the Hebrew word for that is kata, which means to miss the goal, to, to miss the mark. And iniquity is something that we don't use very often. Uh, the Hebrew word for that is avon, okay? Avon, which means to be crooked, to be twisted. And transgression is pesha in Hebrew, means to violate or to break the trust. Although they have different meanings, they essentially share the same theme. And I'm sharing them because it will come up again on our future lessons. But as we define this conflict for the purpose of our lesson now, I will just use the word sin to also mean iniquity and transgression. So we have learned from the previous lesson that because God is our loving creator, he created us with a purpose, we bear his image, and therefore we have value. And that means he deserves our complete and undivided loyalty, devotion, and worship. But what we see in the Bible is quite the opposite. It's a hit or miss. What's worse is we see murder, deception, abuse, and even complete moral failure. And as we dig deep from these stories, we will see that this brokenness can be described in two ways. Rebelling against God's word and rejecting God's rule. So in this lesson, let me highlight two stories in the Bible that describes what this conflict essentially looks like and what it means for us today. Let's look at that first description, rebelling against God's word. We can trace this brokenness all the way back to Genesis, specifically in chapter 3. This is where the conflict in the gospel story actually started. You remember in Genesis 1 and 2, it tells the story of how God created the heavens and the earth and that everything was good. He made man and woman in his image and they enjoyed the favor of God since day one of their lives. They were given life and breath. They were provided a home and they have everything they need. And they were given authority to rule over what God has created. They are called to cultivate it, to help it grow, and to be fruitful. Also, God gave a very clear warning. Eat everything. Take everything except of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I think we all know the story of Eve and Adam and the serpent and the fruit, but it does not hurt to read it again and maybe the Lord will help you see something that you haven't learned before. So let me read Genesis 3 verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, 
neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Because the story has been told over and over, it's easy to have some misconceptions and misunderstanding that it was a simple sin. And Eve just wanted to eat something that was actually good and that God was too severe for his treatment towards them. R.C. Sproul from that clip explained it excellently, but let me just add my thoughts. So again, God has graciously given Adam and Eve the authority to rule over everything that he has created. They have dominion over them. Their only limitation is the authority of God over their lives. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is a tangible evidence of that limitation. That is where their authority stops. But because they were deceived by the serpent, who distorted really the instruction of God, they crossed that line. When they took from that tree, what it implies is they value their selfish desire more than the command of God. By eating from that tree, they are saying the God-given authority to rule over creation is really not enough. We want complete autonomy. In other words, rebellion. You know, recently there is news about some group calling uh, for a formation of a revolutionary government. It, it basically rejects the sovereignty of a nation and the authority of the constitution. But that's exactly what Adam and Eve did. They formed a revolutionary government. They ignored the constitution or the decrees of God. And because of that, God gives his punishment. So everyone in the story was accountable. The serpent was cursed. There will be hostility between man and beast. There will be conflict between man and woman. Childbearing becomes painful. Working becomes difficult. It will not yield fruits easily. And ultimately, there is spiritual and physical death. From thus you shall return. From that punishment, surprisingly, God still provided for them. And so we see uh, what happened in verse 7. Their eyes were opened. They realized they were naked. So what they did is to sew fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloth. I don't know if you did something similar, but uh, just imagine covering yourself with leaves. You know it will not last. So because of that, God provided clothes for them. We see in verse 21, the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Isn't God amazing that he would be the one to make clothes for those who rebelled against him? 
So he replaced the leaves with actual skin, and I'm assuming God used animal skin, which meant an innocent animal was sacrificed to cover their shame. Here's an even greater part. Aside from providing for them, God even made a promise. From that uh, punishment statement, there's a small promise that the offspring of Eve will strike the head of the offspring of the serpent. That sounds like an odd promise, don't you think? But as we go along in, in this gospel story, I'm sure that will make sense. So, uh, sin here is described as rebelling against God's word. Let's look at description number two, rejecting God's rule. Fast forward from Genesis 3, many years later, we, we have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then eventually God has graciously chosen a people for himself, and this people was called Israel. And Moses led this people out of slavery from Egypt and into the promised land. And this people is considered a special possession of God. They are a unique people group. And one of the things that sets them apart is that they don't have a king. But we see a transition from their life in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Let me read verse 4 to 7. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together, and they came to Samuel at Ramah. So Samuel is a, a prophet and a judge. And these elders said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all they say, for they have not rejected you, they have rejected me from being king over them. Israel does not have an earthly king because God was their king. God was protecting them. God was fighting their battles. God was their lawgiver. God was their judge. But for them, that was not good enough. They wanted to be like other nations. And just like in Genesis chapter 3, they receive a punishment. They will have kings who will abuse them. They will have kings who will take their property and even their children. And here's what God told them through Samuel. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you on that day. Because you have rejected me as king, trust the king that you have chosen for yourself. And even though they rejected God as their king, God still granted their request. He provided a king for them. And their first king was King Saul. You know, some of you know the story of King Saul that, and that he had this bad reputation. But he was not always like that. In fact, he was instrumental early on to deliver Israel from their enemies. But after Saul, God provided another king. 
And this king is arguably the greatest king in Israel's history. And this is King David. And through King David is where God made a promise. We see this in 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, verse 12 and 13. God is speaking here to David. And God said, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. That means this king will never be replaced. Can you see a pattern in these two stories? That there's always a punishment a provision, and a promise. Because God is holy and righteous, He does not tolerate sin. He will deal with the offense by giving punishment. He will not just ignore the offense. And the punishment may look severe, but it is well deserved. But God is also loving and merciful that He continued to provide for the people who rebelled against Him, the people who rejected His rule. Not only that, God was even so gracious that aside from providing for them, He even promised to ultimately deal with the source of the problem. How amazing is this God? So, as we see in these two stories, sin is rebelling against God's word and rejecting God's rule. But what does that mean for us today? As we see what sin really looks like, it could mean three important things. Number one, that this conflict has affected not only us individually, but our whole world. Because the offense was made by God's image bearer, it created a ripple effect sending the whole cosmos in confusion and chaos. Matt Chandler who is a pastor and author, has explained this well in his book, The Explicit Gospel, which I highly recommend. Here's an excerpt. When sin entered us, it entered the world. Original sin has effects beyond humanity. It affects the world. So Romans 8.22 says, The whole creation has been groaning. And he continues, This is not just to remind us of the seriousness of rebellion against God, but to indicate that human rebellion against God disrupts the natural order of everything. That means virus and pandemic, clinical depression, extreme weather conditions, deviant human and animal behavior are just some evidences of the whole creation that is in rebellion against its creator. All because the image bearer sinned against a holy God. Number two, we are equally guilty and deserve the punishment. We need to understand that every sin we make is either a rebellion against God's word or rejecting him as king. Every sin, big or small, is our attempt to define what is right or wrong. It's our declaration that we have the capacity to rule ourselves. Every sin, big or small, is a declaration that 
a momentary pleasure is more valuable than the command of God. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 3 reminds us that we are by nature children of God's wrath. And that wrath and punishment is complete separation from the source of life. And that is eternal death called hell. And hell, we need to remember, we need to understand, is not reserved only for those quote-unquote category 5 sinners, just the worst of them. And the rest of us, maybe the categories 2 or 3 or 4, just needs a little bit of correction. That is not true. The standard is not the person who is more messed up than we are. The standard is the holiness of God. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Because God is the standard and we all failed that standard, then we all deserve hell. Number three implication. We are unable to resolve the conflict by ourselves. So because we know that we deserve the punishment, we want to do something about it. But just like Adam and Eve trying to cover their shame by sewing together some leaves, just like the Israelites trying to select their own king but goes from bad to worse, we too are unable to repair the broken relationship we have with God. But we keep trying to save ourselves anyway. And that means, you know, we attempt to do enough good works. We, we go to church. We give to the poor. We try to curse less. We try to get rid of our vices, hoping that by doing enough good works, it would cancel out the bad things we did. I'm not saying that it's pointless to do good work, so it, let's just get rid of it altogether. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, if we are putting our hope on our goodness to restore this relationship with God, then we are putting our hope on the wrong thing. That is called self-righteousness and self-salvation, which really does not help. You know, cleaning up our own sins is like washing your clothes using your own sweat. It will not do the trick because it's coming from the same unclean source. What these three things boil down to is to show us that we are at the complete mercy of God to resolve this conflict. We need God to get us out of this downward spiral. And we are hoping that God would deal with us graciously. You know, if you think that this lesson seems too heavy and does not sound like good news, you are absolutely correct. But to understand the good news, we need to have a good grasp of the bad news. And the bad news is, we bring the conflict in the gospel story. What we contribute in this gospel story is our sinfulness that required God's resolution. And until we understand the utter helplessness of our situation, can we realize our need for a great Savior 
that is outside of ourselves. I know this is heavy stuff, but the good news is the story is not over yet, which brings us to the climax of the story. That is for next week. So until then, thank you and God bless you. Thanks for listening. Cornerstone Makati is part of City to City Asia Pacific Church Planting Network. And we hope to be part of a movement of healthy, gospel-centered churches planted all over the world. If you wish to know more about the church, visit our website, www.crcmakati.ph.